It is good to see all of you out tonight. And we are again glad that you are with us. Our lesson for tonight continues our study of the books of Moses. We are still in the book of Exodus. And tonight should round that up pretty well. Tonight we're going to be talking about the tabernacle. We spent the last three weeks of our study on the Ten Commandments and what they mean to us today and, and how they have been reinstated in the New Testament. Uh, but tonight we're going to turn our attention to the tabernacle. I have done lessons on the tabernacle before because we did a verse-by-verse -verse study of Exodus in the School of Preaching. That was one of the first classes that I taught at Walter Hill. But in going through that, there was a lot of detail, and, and I'll admit it wasn't until tonight that I really was able to put everything together and really understand what it meant because there is a lot of jumping around as far as uh, the verses that talk about this or that. They, they are here and, and they'll be a little bit later on and a few, few more chapters and it's hard to follow. Uh, so all of the verses that we have tonight, uh, there is a little, little bit of back and forth between chapters um, but each thing is in order and so it makes a, a whole lot more sense that way and hopefully it will make sense to you. As we study the tabernacle, there are different components that we find in regard to the tabernacle. We're not going to, to go into a detailed, in-depth thing with it. Uh, we're going to look at, at some of the basic things about the tabernacle. And we're going to look at how it is symbolized in the New Testament and what that symbolism really means for us. We understand that God instructed Moses to build a tabernacle and to furnish it according to his exact specifications. This is a great test for Israel to, to test them on, on doing God's will, on following those instructions, and they were to follow them uh, just as he gave them. But every part of it had spiritual significance and symbolism. And that's one of the greatest things that we see about the tabernacle. There's a lot that we learn about Christ and about His church as we study through the tabernacle and understand how it is laid out. And if I, I think about it, I've, I've got a folder somewhere that has a, I know, a diagram or two somewhere of the tabernacle. If I remember, I'll try to print those off and, and give those to you so you'll have an idea of what it looked like. But as we look at the tabernacle, we're looking at chapters 25 through 40. And like I said, we're not going to go through every verse. Uh, we're just going to, to pick out some different things and, and its significance for us today. But one of the things that we have to understand about the tabernacle is that there was a purpose in the tabernacle. It wasn't just given. God didn't just give them commands and say, hey, follow these. But there was purpose behind it. And like I said, there's a lot of symbolism that is behind each and every thing that we find in the tabernacle. But we begin our study in Exodus chapter 25 and verse 1. Exodus chapter 25 and verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering. From everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. 
And this is the offering which you shall take from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen, and goat's hair, ram skins dyed red, badger skins, and acacia wood, oil for the light and spices for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense, onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. And let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell among them, according to all that I show you, that is, the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. The purpose of the tabernacle was that God may dwell among them. This was, was some way of them being close to God, of being in His presence, of, of really understanding His significance and, and how significant He was to them and how much He had done for them and would continue to do. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. And they were to do so according to God's commandments, according to His specifications. And so as we go through the rest of this lesson, looking beyond the purpose, we look at the tabernacle itself and we look at, at the significance of the things found in the tabernacle. We begin with the court. The tabernacle was surrounded by a court. There was only one entrance to the court, which was 20 cubits wide, or uh, as we would know it, 30 feet. And within the court were six pieces of furniture. We begin by looking at the altar of burnt offering, also known as the brazen altar. And turn with me to Exodus 27, and let's look at verses 1 through 8. Exodus chapter 27, and beginning with verse 1. Here it says, You shall make an altar of acacia wood, five cubits long and five, five cubits wide. The altar shall be square, and its height shall be three cubits. You shall make its horns on its four corners. Its horns shall be of one piece with it, and you shall overlay it with bronze. Also, you shall make its pans to receive its ashes, and its shovels, and its basins, and its forks, and its firepans. You shall make all its utensils of bronze. You shall make a grate for it, a network of bronze. And on the network you shall make four bronze rings at its four corners. You shall put it under the rim of the altar beneath, that the network may be midway up the altar. And you shall make poles for the altar, poles of acacia wood, and overlay them with bronze. The poles shall be put in the rings, and the poles shall be on the two sides of the altar to bear it. You shall make it hollow with boards, as it was shown you on the mountain, so shall they make it. This is where the Israelites were to present their sacrifices. They were to place their hands on the head 
of the animal and confess their sins. Symbolically transferring their sins to the animal. The Israelite would kill the animal and the priest would apply the blood in its proper place, teaching the Israelites the penalty for sin, death. We have been studying in the last few weeks on Wednesday nights, we studied a great deal about the blood and the significance of blood. And when it came to their sacrifices, it was important that they recognized the shedding of blood. Blood was a representation of life. And so as they shed the blood of the animal, it was a representation of its life. They had to offer the life of that animal for their sins, which also showed them the penalty for sin being death. In Hebrews chapter 9, and beginning with verse 18, Hebrews 9, and beginning with verse 18, it says, Therefore not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then likewise he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission. If there was no shedding of blood, there was no remission of sins. But as far as Israel was concerned, their sins could only be remitted in connection with the shedding of Christ's blood as the perfect sacrifice. So as they shed the blood of an animal as a sacrifice, it was looking forward to the coming sacrifice of Christ. We pick up reading in Hebrews 9 and verse 23. Therefore it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often, as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages... He has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. So as they were to present these offerings unto God and, and to make these blood sacrifices. It was important that they recognized the reason that they were doing so. It was important that they recognized the seriousness of sins so that they would turn away from those sins. So that they would repent and try to do better. 
Today we have forgiveness of sins through the blood of Christ. But it was a very high cost to pay for our sins. He had to go to the cross. And he had to shed his blood on our behalf. Otherwise, there would be no remission. And we remember the line from Hebrews 9 and verse 22. That without shedding of blood, there is no remission. So this is of great significance for us as well as it was for them. Next we have the laver of bronze. The laver of bronze. In Exodus 30, beginning with verse 17. Exodus 30 and verse 17. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, You shall also make a laver of bronze, with its base also of bronze, for washing. You shall put it between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it, for Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet in water from it. When they go into the tabernacle of meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister, to burn an offering made by fire to the Lord, they shall wash with water, lest they die. So they shall wash their hands and their feet, lest they die. And it shall be a statute forever to them, to him and his descendants throughout their generation. The word labor means place of washing. And it is also where we get the word lavatory. But its placement between the tabernacle and the brazen altar was so that Aaron and his sons could wash their hands and feet before coming into the tabernacle. And this also is symbolic for us as Christians. It's symbolic of our own cleansing before coming into God's presence. Except it's more than just washing our hands and our physical bodies to be able to come into God's presence. We must wash the inward being. We must wash what is inside. And as we are cleansed, then we are able to come into God's presence. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so as we ask for forgiveness, because we know that we have things that come between us and God, as we ask for forgiveness, we, we know that He will forgive us and that inwardly we are cleansed. And we are able to come and offer a sacrifice unto God, a sacrifice of praise in the way that we do. The first room in the tabernacle was called the holy place. The holy place. Three pieces of furniture were in the holy place. One of those was the golden lampstand. The golden lampstand. And it gave light to the priests as they continued in their duties. It was made from a talent of pure gold, 94 pounds. Exodus chapter 25, beginning with verse 31. Exodus 25 
and verse 31. You shall also make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be of hammered work, its shaft, its branches, its bowls, its ornamental knobs and flowers shall be of one piece. And six branches shall come out of, the, out of its sides, three branches of the lampstand out of one side, and three branches of the lampstand out of the other side. Three bowls shall be made like almond blossoms on one branch, with an ornamental knob and a flower, and three bowls made like almond blossoms on the other branch, with an ornamental knob and a flower. And so for the six branches that come out of the lampstand, on the lampstand itself four bowls shall be made like almond blossoms, each with its ornamental knob and flower. And there shall be a knob under the first two branches of the same, a knob under the second two branches of the same, and a knob under the third two branches of the same, according to the six branches that extend from the lampstand. Their knobs and their branches shall be of one piece. All of it shall be one hammered piece of pure gold. You shall make seven lamps for it, and they shall arrange its lamps so that they give light in front of it. And its wick trimmers and their trays shall be of pure gold. It shall be made of a talent of pure gold with all these utensils. And see to it that you make them according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. Again, all of these things were shown Moses on the mountain. He was given these specifications and these specifications were what would be used in order to make these things. And so they were to follow these specifications for the golden lampstand. But also in the holy place was the table of showbread. The table of showbread. It was made from acacia wood and overlaid with gold. Its specifications were two feet high, three feet long, and 18 inches wide. On this table of showbread were 12 small loaves representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And the showbread was a symbolic reminder of Israel's dependence on God to supply their daily needs. They didn't need to have these things in the tabernacle for God to eat because God isn't a physical being. He is spirit. But these again were symbolic to us. They were symbolic to Israel of how God had provided for their needs. He had provided those things that they needed to eat. Those things that they needed in order to survive. And so this was a reminder of His guidance and His providence over them. Have the golden lampstand, the table of showbread, and finally the altar of incense. All part of the holy place. In Exodus chapter 30, we begin reading at verse 1. Exodus chapter 30 and verse 1. You shall make an altar to burn incense on. You shall make it of acacia wood. A cubit shall be its length, and a cubit its width. It shall be square. And two cubits shall be its height. 
Its horns shall be of one piece with it, and you shall overlay its top, its sides all around, and its horns with pure gold. And you shall make for it a molding of gold all around. Two gold rings you shall make for it, under the molding on both its sides. You shall place them on its two sides, and they will be holders for the poles with which to bear it. You shall make the poles of acacia wood, and overlay them with gold. And you shall put it before the veil that is before the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat that is over the testimony, where I will meet with you. Aaron shall burn on it sweet incense every morning. When he tends the lamps, he shall burn incense on it. And when Aaron lights the lamps at twilight, he shall burn incense on it. A perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generation. You shall not offer strange incense on it, or a burnt offering, or a grain offering, nor shall you pour a drink offering on it. And Aaron shall make atonement upon its horns once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. Once a year he shall make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. The priests were to burn incense on it twice daily as an act of worship, representing continual intercession. Between the holy place and the holy of holies was the veil of the tabernacle. In Exodus chapter 26, and beginning with verse 31, Exodus 26, verses 31 through 37. You shall make a veil woven of blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen. It shall be woven with an artistic design of cherubim. You shall hang it upon the four pillars of acacia wood, overlaid with gold. Their hooks shall be gold upon four sockets of silver, and you shall hang the veil from the clasps. Then you shall bring the ark of the testimony in there behind the veil. The veil shall be a divider for you between the holy place and the most holy. You shall put the the mercy seat upon the ark of the testimony in the most holy. And you shall set the table outside the veil and the lampstand across from the table on its side, on the side of the tabernacle toward the south. And you shall put the table on the north side. You shall make a screen for the door of the tabernacle woven of blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen made by a weaver. And you shall make for the screen five pillars of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Their hooks shall be of gold. And you shall cast five sockets of bronze for them. Only the high priest could pass through the veil into the holy of holies. No one else could go any further. And should anyone else go further, they would be struck dead. Colors here. Blue purple, and scarlet thread are each a representation. Brother Leon D. Stancliffe in his commentary said this of those colors. 
blue represented heaven. As much symbolism of the tabernacle points to Christ and His church. And Christ would come to earth from heavenly regions. Purple He used to signify royalty as Christ was the King of Kings. And scarlet or red a representation of the blood shed by Jesus on the cross for the forgiveness of man's sins. When we look at this veil we see that it had great significance, a great representation in the New Testament. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 27. Let's look at verse 51. Matthew 27 and verse 51. At Christ's death, we read this. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth quaked and the rocks were split. Notice the veil. The veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And it wasn't just something that happened. There was significance behind it. As a matter of fact, we find this in prophecy. In the book of Zechariah chapter 11 and verse 10. Zechariah chapter 11 and verse 10. And I took my staff, beauty, and cut it in two, that I might break the covenant which I had made with all the people. You see, the original covenant between God and man was ended as Christ's death was a representation of that covenant, it being nailed to the cross with Him. So as the veil of the temple was torn in two, it was also a representation of Christ, of the covenant that had been made, the old covenant, and how it also was torn in two. Look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. Colossians chapter 2, beginning with verse 13. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Only the priest could pass into this area and the veil of the temple was torn in two. Christ. Christ would enter into this area of the tabernacle. He took away, he took out of the way the old covenant. The things that were contrary to us. The things that could not take away sin fully. And he took this old covenant 
And it was nailed to the cross. It was done away with. It was no more. See, Christ was the beginning of a new covenant. His death was the beginning of a new covenant. And so as we have the the rending of the veil, it was a representation of the, the establishment of the new covenant. The holy of holies. There's one piece of furniture that is found in the Holy of Holies. And that is the Ark of the Covenant. And as you study through the Old Testament, there there are several mentions of the Ark of the Covenant and, and some things that happened in regard to it. In Exodus chapter 25, beginning with verse 10. Exodus 25 and verse 10. It says, And they shall make an ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits, shall be its length, a cubit and a half its width, and a cubit and a half its height. And you shall overlay it with pure gold. Inside and out you shall overlay it, and shall make on it a molding of gold all around. Shall cast four rings of gold for it, and put them in its four corners. Two rings shall be on one side, and two rings on the other side. And you shall make poles of acacia wood, and overlay them with gold." You shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark, that the ark may be carried by them. The poles shall be in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it, and you shall put it into the ark of the testimony, which I will give you. I believe it was Uzzah that in the time of David, if you'll remember, they had the ark on a cart. And the ark began to slide around and it looked like it was going to fall off. And what did Uzzah do? He probably instinctively put out his hand to catch the ark and he was immediately struck dead. And there is much speculation as to why that might have happened. But as we look at the commands in regard to the ark of the covenant, it wasn't meant to be carried on a cart. It was meant to be carried by poles. There were rings on it so that it could be carried by the priests. They disregarded the commands, the original commands that God had given in regard to the transportation of the Ark of the Covenant and that is the reason that Uzzah was struck dead. David did not immediately understand but as we look to the, the, the law and what God specified they were breaking the law in the way that they were transporting it. In verse 17, You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold, two and a half cubits shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its width. And you shall make two cherubim of gold, of hammered work you shall make them at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end, and the other cherub at the other end, You shall make the cherubim at the two ends of it of one piece with the mercy seat. And the cherubim shall stretch out their wings above, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and they shall face one another. The faces of the cherubim shall be toward the mercy seat. And you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you. 
And there I will meet with you. And I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim which are on the ark of the testimony, about everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. This is where God would, would come to them, where God would speak to them. There were three things that, that were placed in the ark. Three things that were placed in the ark. Hebrews 9 and verse 4. Hebrews 9 and verse 4. Which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid on all sides with gold in which were the golden pot that had the manna Aaron's rod that budded and the tablets of the covenant. These things were to be reminders for the people and they were to carry these things. These things would never rot away. They would, uh, as long as they had the Ark of the Covenant, these things would be there and they would be a reminder for the people. God had taken care of them. He had supplied the manna and it was a reminder to them of how God had cared for them. Kind of like the, the showbread also. Aaron's rod that budded was to be a reminder of how God had led them out of, of Egyptian bondage. And the tablets of the covenant, the reminder of the law that they were to follow. But each one was significant. Each one was important to them. And so these things were to be placed in the ark of the covenant. There were two gold cherubim, angels with wings touching, that were above the ark. On top of the ark was the mercy seat, upon which the high priest sprinkled the blood on the day of atonement. In the New Testament we read of the final atonement. In Romans chapter 5, beginning with verse 6. Romans 5 and verses 6 through 11. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. In verse 8, God demonstrates His own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ shed His blood on the cross for us. And in shedding His perfect blood, His sinless blood, He offers us reconciliation to Him. He offers us atonement 
for our sins. And Christ is the final atonement for our sins. Whereas they had to, to offer these animal sacrifices that we, we read about earlier, they had to offer them continually. They, they were continually a reminder of the sins of the people. They were a, a reminder of the significance of those sins. They were a reminder of the seriousness and that they required death. To atone for those sins. Our sins are of such a serious nature that they required death, the death of another on our behalf. Only Jesus could offer himself as the one perfect sacrifice for our sins. No other could have done it because no other was sinless. He is the only one that lived a, a sinless life on this earth. And because he lived a sinless life on this earth, he was able to atone for our sins. Christ's blood is a, a very significant sacrifice to us because without it, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Without the shedding of His blood, there is no remission of sins. But He died. He took on the punishment that we deserve. He offered Himself as a perfect sacrifice for us. He is the final atonement for our sins. How do we come in contact with that blood we do so through obedience. What Peter told the Jews and what Philip told the eunuch and what Paul told the Philippian jailer and so many others throughout the book of Acts. Belief is necessary. We must believe. We must repent. We must confess our faith in Christ and we must be baptized for the remission of sins. And when we do those things, when we are baptized, when we are fully obedient, we come in contact with that, that, that perfect blood that was shed for us and our sins are cleansed from us. We must also remain faithful. That's also of great importance to us. Maybe it is that you need to come in, in obedience. Maybe you need to come in, in repentance. Maybe you need to come back to Him. We also always offer the Lord's invitation because you never know who might be subject to it. And so if you are subject to the Lord's invitation, if there is some way that, that we can help you tonight, then we offer you the opportunity to come. As together we stand and as we stand.